Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards from pureandsimplebible.com. I'm so grateful that you're here with us again. This week, I've invited Brother Randy Ballard onto the show. He's from Houston, Texas. Great man of God, great evangelist, and a good older friend of mine. I'm very grateful for him. I invited Randy to talk about presenting the plan of salvation, and this is specifically geared for Christians who are interested in sharing the gospel with others, but maybe are timid or hesitant to share because they're not sure what to say or how to say it. Randy has a great set of resources that he uses for sharing the gospel, and I think it'll be good for us to listen and learn together. So please join me as we have a great discussion with Randy Ballard on presenting the plan of salvation. I'm here with Randy Ballard. You are a dear friend of mine, a, an older brother who I admire as a spiritual father in the faith as well. Um, I've enjoyed working with you over the years, and I'm thankful for what you do for the church. So I, I asked you to come on to the, the show. I asked you to think about what uh, topics you were interested in, in having a conversation on, some things that you've helped the church with recently. And uh, one of the... Uh, concepts that you shared with me was presenting the plan of salvation, specifically um, in this conversation, helping Christians share the gospel with non-believers. So while, you know, I, I hope anybody's listening to the show, uh, this is targeted for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are out there and they're thinking, how can I share the good news uh, in a meaningful way. So yeah, and, and I may say this. You know, one one of the things that led to this is some of the brethren here in my home congregation asked for help in that regard. Some of them had gone with me on Bible studies with unbelievers, and uh, they said, "Hey, I'd like to learn how to do that. Can you give me some guidance and so forth?" And also on our last trip to South America, that was one of the topics that they requested: is teach us how to do evangelism. And so I'm very passionate about that. It's something I love to do personally to share the gospel with people, but also to help brothers and sisters learn how they can do the same thing as well. Well, I'd like to begin with a, a scripture, and I'd like to read it and then ask for you to help me understand a little bit better. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, and it says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. What is that verse talking about? You know, it's interesting that you ask me that because I've actually changed my view on that. Uh, I had never really studied it. I just thought of gathering something. I thought of going around picking stuff up like sticks or something like yeah. that. If you actually look at that word gather there, it comes from the same Greek word that we get synagogue, and it really means to assemble or congregate. Hmm. And so the idea was that Jesus was calling people together. This word is not used of inanimate objects. It's only used of living beings. And uh, Jesus calls people together. And think about the times when he was here on the earth and it would talk about multitudes gathered to hear him. That's the word that was used there, uh, gathered together. Uh, the Bible talks about Jesus reconciling us to his Father. And that same word reconcile often comes from this word here. So the idea of, of gathering with Jesus means calling people to him, gathering people together, congregating or assembling them. And if we're not doing that, Look at what he says in the verse that you just read. 
if we do not gather with him, we are scattering. If we're not helping bring people to Jesus as Christians, then we're actually, I believe, damaging his cause. It seems like there's no middle ground. You can't choose to just do nothing. You're That's either right. going to be helping him or you're going to be hurting the cause. That's right. There's no lukewarm, hot or cold. And while it may seem like you know, people's primary motive is uh, uh, maybe they're scared about how people might treat them or they're uh, you know, concerned about the reaction. In my experience and in uh, several people I've talked with as well, I think they're also concerned about just not having the right thing to say or they're afraid they're going to mess up. That, that's it. We, we don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and that's a good concern to have. It would be better not to say anything than to say the wrong thing. But how long is that a good excuse? Right. If, if I say, you know, I don't want to mess up. I don't know enough, so I'm not going to talk to people. Okay, are you going to fix that? Are you going to learn right. what to say? Or are you content for the rest of your life to say, I don't know how to do that? Uh, it sounds kind of like the, the one talent man. I'm just going to bury it and not use it. Well, it didn't turn out too well for him. That's right. Whenever the, the Lord came back. Well, tell me about, um, as an evangelist, you know, your primary work is in saving souls, but kind of like you just mentioned a moment ago, uh, another work that you're involved in is helping Christians uh, learn those skills to save souls. So how, um, I guess, how do you go about helping others share the gospel with the lost? Well, first of all, let me just say this. That's not an idea that I've come up with on my own. I mean, you think about what Paul wrote to Timothy, who was an evangelist, and he told him to teach the things that he had learned to faithful men who would then be able to teach others also. That's right. So part of the work of an evangelist is not just converting lost souls, but helping Christians learn how to do the same thing. Um, in my case, what I have done, again, at the request of some who wanted to learn how, is there's probably three or four different methods that I personally have used, depending upon the situation, to explain to someone what they need to do in order to be saved. And um, so I've come up with a little card. It's kind of like a business card. It's printed on both sides. I've got English versions and Spanish versions of it too, because I mentioned we did this in South America. Uh -huh. And um, it, it's not something that you would pass out to someone. This is not a card that, that you would just go up and hand someone. This is something you can carry in your shirt pocket or your wallet that might give you a little outline of three different methods of presenting the gospel to someone. So this is something I'm going to hold on to. I'm not going to print 200 copies of it and then just put it on the doors of my exactly community. it would be meaningless to them right well let's look at it then and i guess for those who are listening you know when you're listening to a podcast you're not able to see what we're talking about but uh, if you go to the website pureandsimplebible.com to the podcast page for this episode i'll have a jpeg or a pdf version of this that you could download and uh, print at your own convenience um i guess let's begin with the side with the red letters, if we could start there. Sure. Uh, and when I look, when I'm looking at it, I'm, I just see a bunch of scriptures and at the bottom, there's a question. So, uh, I guess, help me understand these scriptures starting at the top, Romans 3.23 and 6.23. Okay. You have to have a place to start. I remember years ago when I was a young boy, uh, there were a couple of preachers came to our house, faithful gospel preachers. They were staying with us and uh, they showed my dad their method of, of uh, presenting the gospel to people. And they had a scripture that they had memorized that they always started with. Uh, this is a different scripture than the one they used, mm -hmm. but I think that's good. You may not be able to memorize five or 10 or 15 passages of scripture, but you can certainly remember one. And so in this case, I actually have two at the top of the card. The first one is Romans 3.23, 
which says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The next one is Romans 6.23, which says the wages of sin is death. So putting those two passages together, anyone can read that and see everyone has sinned, everyone is guilty, all of us deserve to die. All of us deserve punishment, and, every, every person. And it makes it personal too, including me. Everybody's sinned, including me. So nobody's going to be without excuse. Um, now, with those two scriptures as the starting point, uh, you know, it's, it's compelling to notice that I'm the one who's got this issue. Is there going to be a way of escape to get out of that problem? Yeah, that's the perfect question to ask, actually, because uh, we're doomed. Everyone is doomed. We need a way to escape. And there's a passage that uses that exact word. And that's the next thing on the card. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. And, and in fact, let me say Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. Okay. Um, and let me just read that. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape, there's that word you mentioned, if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So he says, you know, if every transgression and disobedience receives its reward, and we just read that all of us have sinned, and the reward of that, uh, or the punishment, is death, right. how shall we escape, he says, if we neglect this great salvation? Well, I think, you know, if I could connect these two real quick, that concept of a, the wages of sin means it's deserved from Romans 6, verse 23. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not getting anything that I don't deserve. In fact, rather, I'm getting what I do deserve. And uh, so this way of escape uh, is going to be something that is beyond me. But at the same time, there's the conditions which God is, is making it available to me. So how, how do I find it? What is this way of escape, the, the salvation, this great way that God provides? See, I'm hoping that the person I'm talking to will ask that same question <laughs> because it's the obvious question. If right. I'm doomed... And there is one way of escape. And if I neglect that way, there is no other way of escape. There is no hope. Then I want to know, what is that way of escape? Well, there's a clue here in the last verse that we read, verse 3. And this is the reason why this side of the card has some words in red. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So here's the thing. Any method that someone says they can use to be saved, anytime somebody tells another person what they must do to be saved, they need to be able to find scriptural evidence that Jesus said it first and that later it was confirmed by those people that heard him, namely the apostles. Okay, so the red letters first and then the black letters, if you're looking at the card. Well, uh, let, let's jump into that first one then. You know, well, I see... But before we oh, do that, let me, let me tell you one thing that I have learned... In, in some years of gospel preaching, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I hope I've learned from some of my mistakes. And I want to suggest that whenever you talk with somebody about the topic of salvation, that before you get into the scriptures at all, that you simply ask the person, have you been saved? Mm. And depending upon their answer, if they say, yes, I have, then you can ask, well, how did that happen? Tell me about it. See, the thing about it is different religious groups give different answers to the same question, what must I do to be saved? Right. And uh, sometimes I'll even get online and I'll print off what different, you know, official religious organizations say about what a person has to do to be saved. Uh, the reason for that is later on, uh-huh. after we go through the scriptures and we discover exactly what the Bible says, sometimes people will say, 
Well, I think I did that. But if you ask them up front, they will honestly tell you what they believe they did to be saved. And then if that doesn't match the scriptures, then they're convicted in their heart. That's what's important. I've learned that the hard way because then you're arguing with someone after you've had the Bible studies and they say, well, I've done that. And, and you know that they haven't, but then it becomes a matter of he said, she said, right. and it's just not the peaceful ending you would want it to be. Well, with that in mind, um, I'm thinking of the Lord's words here in John 3, 16, uh, 8, 24, and Mark 16, 16. Talk to me about this uh, first part of God's plan and salvation. Yeah, since we're looking for something that Jesus said first and then afterward it was confirmed by those who heard him, uh, these are passages where Jesus says, for example, whoever uh, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him mm. should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, he also said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And again, Mark 16 and 16, you know, uh, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So in all those places, Jesus says it's necessary for a person to believe. Without belief, we will perish. I think it's important to at least pause and, and reflect that belief is more than just like an acknowledgement that there's, you know, I believe that... Uh, this might happen or that might happen, but to actually have a, a, a belief that is centered in obedience and faith, not one that's like the demons who believe and tremble, oh, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like James two nineteen, that even the demons believe and tremble. So they had a, a belief, but it wasn't one that was really centered on love and obedience. It was more just on an acknowledgement of, yeah, that's... Oh, oh, sure. They know the existence of God. They know the existence right. of Jesus. They, they clearly acknowledge that. They, they tremble. They believe it so strongly. But it does not drive them to, uh, to, to obey him, to submit to him. I just realized I jumped the gun with James 2.19. It's actually on the card. It is. Uh, <laughs> well, that it, with that in mind, then, I guess, help me understand the apostles who came after. So the Lord said it first. You have to believe. But then the apostles are also going to confirm that. Give me some examples of them confirming that belief is part of that plan of salvation. Okay. Uh, on the card, I have three specific examples, and there are more. Uh, Acts 16, you may remember that's when Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail, and the Philippian jailer uh, asked them specifically, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you mm -hmm. will be saved, you and your household. So they specifically said just what Jesus did, that you must believe in Jesus. The uh, Hebrew writer said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And of course, John was one of the apostles. In fact, he was one of the apostles that was the closest to Jesus while he was here right. upon the earth. And he mentioned the same thing in his first letter, 1 John 3, 23. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. So again, those are just three examples. That's what I put on the card here. But Jesus said that without, you know, without believing in him, we would die in our sins. And then the apostles also said, believe in him in order to be saved. I like this pattern because I don't have to come up with any sort of amazing argument on my own. I'm just following what the Bible has already said. That the First, the Lord, and then confirmed by his apostles from Hebrews 2 verse 3. Um, well, let's jump into 
what happens next because like I already preemptively said, even the demons believe and tremble. So we know that it's not simply believing, but there's going to be something that follows that. Sure, sure. Yeah, belief is the first step, but there's got to be something else. And so the next thing we would say is repentance. And we say that because Jesus says, uh, well, Matthew 4 and 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you remember Luke 13 and 3, mm -hmm. uh, Jesus was talking about the guys, the tower fell on them. And he also talked about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he said, do you suppose that they were worse sinners than all others? And his reply in both cases, verse 3 and verse 5 was, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Um, so again, Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, or you also will perish. Well, if we're following that pattern then, then his disciples are going to say the same thing. Sure. Right? Yeah, we would we would absolutely expect that. And uh, we find that all throughout the uh, the book of Acts, as well as some of the letters that were written. The examples I have on the card, Acts 2, 37 and 38, uh -huh. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost when the people were cut to their heart and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Uh, he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. There is the uh, situation in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. That's where he was in the temple speaking to the big crowd that assembled together after the lame man had been healed. And uh, he said, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And then the apostle Paul, when he was in Athens, you know, and he was stirred by all of the uh, idolatry that existed there. And he says in Acts 17 and 30, truly the times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So the apostles confirmed what Jesus said about the importance of repentance. When we realize that we're lost, hopelessly lost, ah, but God offers us hope, God offers us a plan, God offers us a way of escape, that ought to touch our hearts and mm -hmm. change our minds and cause us to want to live a different way. I like that you refer back to the Hebrews 2 verse 3 verse. Uh, we're looking for an escape from what we deserve. We're looking for a way to find the salvation, that great salvation that is the escape. Um, we are believing in Jesus, or that's why we're telling people that to believe in Jesus and to repent, that, that heartfelt desire to change your lifestyle. But there's more than that. You know, we're not going to stop there, just change your lifestyle or sure. be and, sorry about and, it. And, you know, in all honesty, uh, most people that you talk to, they're going to be with you so far. Because mm -hmm. who thinks you can be saved if you don't believe in Jesus? Well, not very many people. Uh, not who people who would claim or desire to be Christians. Right. Uh, who thinks that you can believe in Jesus, but you don't have to change or change your heart or change your mind or change your life? Everybody thinks you have to repent. But the further we go into this, the, the fewer people that already acknowledge or believe this. So the next step then is we look at the, the third line of red letters on the card. Matthew 10 and 32, Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. Right. Uh, Luke 12 and 8, he said, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. So Jesus said that we have to confess. What does that mean exactly to confess me before men? Ah, you know, confession uh, when we think of it in, in terms of words that we use all the time, if a person is accused of a crime, they right. either they, they usually deny it. I, uh -huh. I didn't do that. To confess it is to admit it. 
or, or agree. Yes, I, I did do that. Uh-huh. So the idea of confessing Christ is to openly profess, yes, I believe in him. It's not just to to have the thought in your heart, but to openly profess it mm-hmm. and uh, share that with anyone to, to not deny it and to not be ashamed of it. And it would be more than just uh, saying uh, maybe like a printed words like a catechism or something that if you just say this magical phrase 20 times then you don't have to believe it you know, just repeat this thing you, you, there is a part of the heart as well as a part of the mouth that is confessing it and the reason i'm doing i'm trying to lead us into romans chapter 10 verse 9 and 10 when the apostles yeah. um, continue what the lord was teaching about confession. Yeah, exactly. And this is all predicated upon the fact that you've already believed. We've already mentioned that, that Jesus and the apostles said that. And belief is more than just a mental assent. That's a big part of it. But, um, you know, it's a belief that convicts us. Uh And and when we're convicted, we're not ashamed to let people know that. Right. If you're ashamed that you believe in Jesus, you probably haven't really been convicted yet. You don't Mm. love him. You don't honor him. You don't really believe in him if you're not willing to confess that. That's good. Give me some examples of his followers uh, teaching the value of confession towards this, this plan of salvation. Okay, well, you mentioned Romans 10, 9, and 10. That's a great one. Paul wrote and said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So that's one of the scriptures on the card. The next one is uh, Acts chapter 8. This is where um, a man was riding down the road in a chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch we call him, and the Lord sent an evangelist by the name of Philip uh, to explain to him what he was reading. And we really don't have any details in particular Mm -hmm. of what Philip said to the eunuch. It just says he began at that same scripture. He was reading Isaiah 53. He began at the same scripture and preached to him Jesus. But as we follow that story, watch what happened. This is verses 35 through 37. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. See, he's repeating what Jesus has said. It was necessary to believe. Mm -hmm. And so the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he made the confession, just like Paul talked about, a person believing in their heart and right. then confessing with their mouth. And then I think the last one I would mention is uh, from the Apostle John. First John 4 and 15 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we are to confess our belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay. Well, there seems to be more red letters <laughs> on this card, so I know I'm not done here. Uh, but kind of like you said earlier, there are many who might think you are, that you've called on the name of the Lord or you've lifted up in uh, maybe a prayer, that this confession. But uh, help me understand what this, this last pair of red letters and black letters is all about. Okay, yep, that's right. We're looking for a way of escape that Jesus commanded and that his followers then reiterated. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the last one because we can't leave off part of what Jesus said. The two scriptures I have on the card are Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said to his apostles, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we already mentioned Mark 16, 16, back when we were talking about belief. 
Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So Jesus indicates that baptism is necessary for salvation. What about his disciples? Uh, another good question. We mentioned Acts 2.38 when we talked about repentance. Let me read that again. Okay. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the next passage I have on the card is Acts 10, 48. This was the first ever Gentile convert. And uh, Peter said to those in Cornelius's house, the Bible says he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to tarry uh, a few days. And then referring to Noah's ark and the fact that eight people were saved in it, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3, 21, uh, this is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter says clearly that baptism saves us. And I'm at a loss to understand why there are so many religious organizations today who say that baptism does not save us when the Bible clearly says that it does. So when we look at this conclusion, um, you know, I see belief and repentance, confession and baptism uh, in order to be saved, how, how would I close it out with somebody that I'm going through the study with? Maybe I've given them the opportunity to read the Scriptures, and we've uh, both agreed on what the Scriptures have had to say, but sometimes it does come down to the closure of it. How are you going to end this particular presentation? Yeah, I want to take them back to our passage in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. Okay. And I want to remind them that all of us have sinned. I've sinned, you've sinned, everybody's sinned. Once a person commits one single sin, they have been separated from God. They're lost for eternity. The punishment they have brought upon themselves is eternal death and damnation. What in the world can I do? Well, I can't do anything. I can't live a righteous enough life. I can't offer enough gifts or money to receive forgiveness. All I can do is obey the Lord. I can do what He said. So there is a great salvation that God has provided, a way of escape, mm -hmm. How do we know what that is? Well, Jesus said it first, and it was confirmed by his apostles. So we have Jesus saying you must be, you must believe. We have the apostles saying that. Right. Jesus said you must repent. The apostles said the same thing. Jesus said you must confess me before men. The apostles, and not just the apostles, even others that were uh, with and around Jesus and heard him teach, mm -hmm. reiterated that same thing. Jesus said people must be baptized to be saved. Peter and the other apostles said the same thing. So that, that is the great way of escape, the great salvation. And if we neglect that, there is no other way. Mm. Now, I, I want to impress that upon someone's mind, but I also want to remind them, you told me that you were saved when you said a certain prayer. Right. Can you show me a scripture where Jesus told people to say a certain prayer and where the apostles mm. also said to say a certain prayer? Or, or whatever it is that they were, you know, told to do to be saved. Right. We're asking for consistency with the Scripture. Yeah. We're not asking uh, to win an argument or just to prove that we're personally right and they're wrong. We're trying to show them that the Lord has given us a way of escape. We want everyone to take that way. So Certainly. come on. Certainly. Get on the path. Well, uh, this has been an excellent conversation, and we're going to make it a two-parter. So will you be willing to come back next week and talk with me about the other side of the card? And uh, hopefully 
we can understand the two other types of presentation we could do to share the gospel with somebody. Certainly, I'd be honored to do that. This is so important. There's no other information in the world that is more important than being able to tell somebody how to be saved. All right, well, thank you, brother, very much. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you next time. This has been the first part in a two-part series on presenting the plan of salvation to others with Brother Randy Ballard. I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm really excited to share the next part of it with you. So please come back next week. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet on iTunes or on SoundCloud, go ahead and do that so you can get this episode automatically whenever it comes out. But when it does, I encourage you to come back and listen to the other methods that Brother Randy uses and the scriptures that go along with them to provide such a compelling uh, set of evidences for how one becomes a Christian and why it's important to do it according to the Bible's pattern and not just according to our own opinions or philosophies about it, but submitting to obeying the gospel as Jesus has asked us to do. This week, while you're waiting for the next op- episode to come out, you can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com. I plug it every week and I'm going to keep doing so because I believe in the resources that are there for you to use. There are study workbooks, there is online and standard mail correspondence courses that you can download. All of this stuff is yours to use absolutely free. Once you give it a try, go check it out at www.pureandsimplebible.com. Till next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you next week. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.